when I was a senior in high school, the day before we graduated, they were doing all types of fun things with us. They took us to the park for some reason, and we had hamburgers there. I don't really know what we were doing there, but we were there. Uh, they let us do all kind of fun things. One of the things that they did, the, the day before we graduated, graduated on a Saturday, this was on Friday, they loaded all of the seniors up on a bus, and they took us to the county jail. And they marched us through the jail, showing us the inmates and the prisons and the solitary confinements and the whole deal. And I got to tell you, uh, it was pretty scary for me. I'm the kind of guy that never got in trouble. I, 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 I'm not saying I never did anything wrong, but I never got, I never got caught doing it. So I didn't, I didn't get in trouble. And this, this scared the tar out of me. And we're, and we're walking through here. And, you know, it wasn't like walking into Walmart and the greeters are out there saying, hey, welcome to Walmart. Glad you're here. No, no, no. They were like mean looking and scary. And I, I, I was really nervous. And we got into the, um, uh, the high security area, which was kind of an open area with a few cells along the side. And as we're sitting there with the maximum security guys there, this one, you know, everybody, everybody, every school has one, this young punk kid in our class that just, first of all, he never quite hit his growth spurt. And so he was letting the world know that he was tough, you know, that kind of guy. And he was just mouthy and he was just, he just the whole time we were there, he was acting like he was something. And, you know, dude, you're 17, you, you know, and, but he was, he, finally the lieutenant or the captain or whoever was giving us the tour, he, he had enough. And he goes, I need a volunteer. And nobody volunteered, so he picked this kid. And he laid him down on his stomach. And he handcuffed his hands and his feet and then handcuffed them together. And he said, now when maximum security guys have problems, this is what we do to make sure we can control them until we get everything handled. And then we can, we can drag them around like this if we have to. What are we got to do to get the situation taken care of? And then, I kid you not, we turned and walked out and left the kid laying there. <laughs> this guy who just a few minutes ago had been bad and something, was screaming and crying and begging to, for somebody to come back and get him. And we sat outside the door listening to him, and the guy goes, I, I couldn't take no more of that kid. We had to make a change. We had to get his attention. He said, y'all think we should go back in there and get him? And the girls are like, go get him, please. <laughs> and the guys are like, no, man, we're done with him too. We've been dealing with this for 13 years. Leave him in there. And so, but he, he went in there, got him out, and that kid didn't say a word the rest of the day. I'm not sure if he's talked since. That was 15 years ago, and he's, he's still quiet. Scared the devil out of him. Better yet, it scared the hell out of him. <laughs> But that was the whole point because we're making a transition in our lives to where everything was on you. Your decisions are on you. You're, you're not a kid anymore. You're not in school anymore. It's on you. Your mama and daddy aren't going to run around behind you with a curfew and make sure you're acting right. And if you're not careful, you'll end up here. And so we want you to know what life in this place is like before you end up here. It worked on me. I don't know about everybody else. 
And as I, as I think about, was thinking about this series, I was reminded of that story about how someone, in, I was hearing about a lot of cool things that senior classes were doing on the day before they graduated. I didn't value going to the jail, but when I look back on life and wonder how many people it rescued from ending up there, I think, so, I thank goodness somebody had enough sense to scare the hell out of us. I'm using that term very literally because I'm talking about hell today, so I get a free pass, all right? I'm not, I don't want to scare you, but I do want you to know. Because we have a number of different types of people. We've got people that believe everything that anybody says and are therefore thoroughly confused. Then we have people that know the truth. Then we have people who don't care and don't know and aren't even sure that they believe in hell. And, and I'm just talking about believers. So I want to take this book. It's um, been referred to as the good book on the video there, the Holy Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of God. And, and I want to give you just a few verses, and I don't have time to cover it all today. It's a massive subject, but I want to give you a few verses, a couple of stories to talk to you about the realities of hell. Here's the first thing. I, re- I read to you in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, uh, this verse. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. There's a couple of truths that you need to know in this. First of all, you will die. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, you are going to die. You say, well, Pastor Rand, and there was a few people in the Bible that didn't die. You are right. I wouldn't hold your breath on being the exception to the rule. So, well, Pastor Ren and I'm sitting around waiting for the rapture to come. Jesus is going to return for, for me. We're living in the end times, don't you know? I'm aware. Don't hold your breath. People that live expecting God to take them before they die, there's a word for that, and it's called escapism. And, and you, it ends up causing faulty doctrine and a faulty way of living. But the New Testament tells us time and time again uh, that we need to live as if we're going to die and trying to get as many people to go to heaven as we can along the way. And if the Lord returns while we're doing His business, so be it. Great, wonderful. We'll all be taken up in a cloud of glory. But until then, here's what, here's what He said. It is appointed for all men to die once. Man, death is an alarming thing. I remember the, uh, the first time that I was there when someone died. It was a car accident. And, and my father and I were driving home on 365 from the Nederland campus to his house or, or our house on Highway 365. And right at the intersection of Highway 365 and Westport Arthur Road, there's now a crawdads station there. At the time, it was just an open field. But there's a big loop right there. And a girl headed west bent down to get a tape or a CD or whatever, eight track, whatever we were listening to back then. <laughs> and she bent down to get it off the floor and she veered over into oncoming traffic, and they hit head-on going at about 60 miles an hour. And I remember it was, uh, I was only about 11 years old, and, and it just was ingrained into my brain. The lady in the car, dad jumps out, and, and he's trying to help this one lady, and she had a couple of kids, and she was screaming and cussing and angry, and she came over to my lane, and I can't believe that, and, you know, and all these things. But dad had already checked on the other girl. And my father looked at her and said, ma'am, I know you're angry, 
but the lady that hit you is dead. And in that moment, the silence that you feel in the room right now happened right there on the side of the road. And the baby stopped crying, and the mom stopped talking, and I couldn't move because I, I was faced with death for the first time. Shortly after that, I remember when my grandparents walked in and told me on a Monday morning that my grandfather had passed. It shook me, messed me up. In, in my job, I've, I've been with multiple people as they move from this side of eternity into eternity, and it is shaking. One of those, and a couple of years ago, I had two of my dear, dear friends went to be with the Lord in, in, in a matter of a year. Two very important people in my life. And I was really struggling with it. I mean, I was, I was struggling really badly. And I went to one of my mentors and I, and I said, uh, Pastor Brett, I don't know what to do right now. Because I don't understand. We have prayed. These are praying people, believers. And we have prayed and asked God for a miracle. And, and it hasn't happened. And I, I don't understand. And, and I don't know if he helped me or if he didn't. Um, but he, he said something to me. As I said, I don't know if it helped or didn't, but it was a truth. And it came from this verse. If you put it back up there on the screens for me. He said this, it is appointed for all men to die once. Here, here's what he said. He said, Randon, every single one of us have an appointment. We have an appointment with death. And he said, you can try as hard as you want to, but you will not miss this appointment. And when God says it's your time, when it's marked on the calendar, understand you won't miss it. And then he said this. He said, if God chose to take these men, God chose to take your friends. He said, I don't have to understand it and neither do you. But you do need to know that God had already made a plan and he had already worked this thing out and this was their time. And he's going to take care of you. And he's going to take care of their families. He's going to help them through. If you're, if you're going through a situation like this in your life, I want you to understand something. God made a plan for you. What may seem like an accident, what may seem out of the blue, is not out of the blue to God. He's big enough to help you. He's big enough to take care of you. And he has got grace and mercy and strength and peace. All you've got to do is ask him. We're going to die. And we have an appointment. The, the, the next thing about this verse that we see is after death comes the judgment. After death comes the judgment. See, after death doesn't come a chance to be reincarnated. You're not coming back as a butterfly. Notice what he says here. It's appointed for all men to die once. Just once. If, if, if you uh, are not wealthy this time, don't expect to come back and be, you know, Bill Gates, right? You're not coming back as an animal. This is it. You die once, then you face the judgment. I'm not calling Bill Gates an animal. I'm sorry if that <laughs> ran those two sentences together. Forgive me. You're facing the judgment. None of us like being judged. Raise your hand if it's just you wake up in the morning and say, I want somebody to judge me. It's like, I just, I just need to be judged today. I need somebody to tear me down and break down all of my flaws and tell me all the things I've done wrong. No, we don't think like that. But we will face the judgment. And here's, here's the struggle. When we stand before God in the judgment, um, 
He knows it all. You know how when people are talking to you and they're telling you what you've done wrong, or maybe you got called to the principal's office, or maybe you got in trouble with the boss. One of the things that I have said so many times, I've heard people say, and has been said to me is, you just don't know the whole story. You know what I'm talking about? If you only knew. uh, Here's the deal. God knows the whole story. The second thing is, and and my my father told me this once, and and it really stuck with me years ago. He said, Randy, when you get before God, there, there is no lying and there is no deceit possible in heaven. And so he says, you're going to go before God and you're going to open up your mouth to give excuses or to lie or to give all this stuff. And the only thing that's going to come out is the truth. He said, you, you better live that way. And you better know what the truth is because you're going to open up your mouth in heaven and you're going to go to say, but God and truth is going to come out. The judgment's coming. Now, I want to flip over and I want to read to you from, uh, I want to read a story from the book of Luke, chapter 16. When you study the Bible, hell is mentioned 167 times in the Bible. 167 times. In fact, Jesus preached on hell 33 times in three years. Don't you think about that? That is about once a month. You may not have wanted to go to Jesus' church because he talked about hell a lot. In fact, he talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. He called it Sheol, Hades, the pit, everlasting destruction, hell, everlasting fire, unquenchable, unquenchable fire, a place of torment. In Luke chapter 16, he's talking about this. Here's what he says. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted every day. I don't even know how to say that. Sumptuously. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment... He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. A great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not do so, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Um, Oftentimes, Jesus would speak in parables. And he would begin a story, you know, this is the parable of this, it's the parable of that, it's the parable of so-and-so, it's the parable of this thing, and... He would begin and he would make statements like, the kingdom of heaven is like, 
Or the kingdom of heaven is such as this. And he would, he would use words to inform you that this was a parable. That it was a story to give you a principle of the kingdom. But he uses none of those in this story. In fact, he uses real names of real people. Why? Because Jesus is not giving us a parable here. He is giving us a real life story. Here's the story. There's a poor man named Lazarus. He dies and he's comforted in, next to Abraham in, what, in the, one of the two compartments of, of Hades or hell called paradise. On the other side is the rich man who didn't live right, who didn't handle things correctly, and he is in Hades. And Jesus is going to tell this story. Now, I want to talk to you about just a couple of things in here uh, that you need to know. First of all, he said it was a place of torment of fire, of torment and of fire. Jesus uses these terms about 19 times while he's on the earth. Torment in the Greek has three uses. Here they are. Number one, it was a, it was a word to describe acute pain from a debilitating disease. So when Jesus said the man was in torment, he's saying that it was as if he had a, an intense acute pain from a debilitating disease. The second thing he was referring to was a rack of torture, meaning that they had devised this way of torturing you where they would stretch your body and then they would stretch your skin and poke sharp objects all the way through your skin and through your body. And they would keep stretching and poking things through you. And it was an instrument of torture called torment. Thirdly, uh, it was used to describe the fire hot enough to purify gold. A fire that purifies gold has to get extremely, extremely hot. And that was, they used the word torment to describe that. And this is the word that Jesus uses to describe hell in this story. Three things we learn about a person in hell from this story. Are you okay this morning? You're just staring at me. That's okay. We haven't even gotten serious yet. Person in hell, that, that person desires comfort. Here, here's what he said, verse 23, 23 and 24. He said, can, can, can somebody just dip their finger in water and place it on my tongue and cool my tongue? It's so hot. This, this fire that is hot enough to purify gold. I, he didn't ask for a bucket. He didn't ask for a bottle. He said, can, can you just dip your finger in water and touch it to my tongue to help cool me? He was desiring comfort. But the problem was he couldn't be helped. Abraham said there's a, there's a divide here. There's an abyss and I can't cross it and neither can you. So even though we want to help you, we can't get it to you. The problem with hell is that once we're there, no help is coming. We, we will seek comfort, but no help will come. The second thing we see is that person will express concern. He, he's sitting there and He's in torment, he's in pain, he's hot, it's burning, and, and he can't get comfort. So the next thing he does is he starts thinking about his family. He expresses concern. He says, Abraham, can, can, you, can you send somebody to my father's house? Man, I've got five brothers and I don't want them to come here with me. Can you send somebody to my father's house? He's expressing concern. In hell, lost souls have an eternity to think 
What are you going to be thinking about? One of the things is, you're going to be expressing concern for the loved ones you left behind. Will somebody go tell them? Will somebody please go tell them? Will somebody please speak to them? Here's the truth. If you were driving down the road in your next door neighbor's house, you saw it on fire. And the, pol- the police weren't there and the fire department wasn't there. It was late at night. Maybe you know they have kids and babies and they're all sleeping. You don't see any outside, but you see their house caught on fire. Would you drive by and say, hmm, their house is on fire? Pull into your driveway, go into your garage, close it down, walk inside, get a cup of coffee, sit down in front of your TV, turn on American Idol and say, we ought to pray for them. And then go back to drinking coffee. You wouldn't do that. You'd be immediately calling 911. Maybe you would jump in there and you'd be banging on the doors trying to get them out and wake them up and, and, and break through the glass. Whatever it takes, we've got to help them. We've got to get those babies out. We've got to rescue them. We can't let our neighbors die. You would be doing everything in your power to try to help them. You wouldn't go home and say, we're just going to pray for them. Lord, I pray that somebody would go and help them, that somebody would call 911, that somebody would rescue those babies. You wouldn't do that. In Romans chapter 10, we learn this. Prayer is not enough to save your loved ones. You could say, well, well, Pastor Ren, and I, I love them, and I want God to touch them, so I'm praying for them. You should pray for them. But at some point, Romans chapter 10 says, how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? You're the one. So, it begs me to ask this question. If your loved one died, your friend, and you hadn't told them about Jesus, but you know good and well that without the mercy of God somehow stepping in, you know where they're probably headed. I wonder if they're sitting there thinking right now, why didn't you tell me? Who's thinking that of you? Who's thinking that of me? Why didn't you warn me? We argued about religion and we argued about politics and we argued about sports and we talked about the weather but you never told me. And I wonder if they're thinking, please, please, please tell my family. The third thing is, after the concern and comes consolation. This person would seek consolation when they realize that it's entirely possible no one in their life will tell their family. You never told me. Why would you tell my family? So they think, well, maybe a miracle or a sign will happen and they will be saved. But Abraham said, listen, if they don't believe the law or the prophets, which was the Bible at the time, they didn't have the New Testament. If they didn't believe the Bible, they won't believe a miracle. And the guy says, well, but if somebody goes back from the grave, if someone is raised from the d- grave, and Abraham says, even if one was raised from the grave, if they won't believe the word of God, they won't believe that one. It's a foreshadowing to Jesus. Jesus is literally saying, I'm going to go to the grave and I'm going to come back. But it's people still won't believe in me. They're seeking consolation. Hades was a place of torment. It was a place of waiting. 
hell, paradise, two compartments. But this is not the hell that awaits us in our future. That was Hades. It was separate. You remember on the cross when Jesus said to the thieves uh, that called on his name, he said, you will be with me today in paradise. He was referring to Hades uh, or hell uh, and paradise, the two compartments at that time. But in future hell, it's going to be different. Let me give you a couple things that you need to know. First of all, there are two physical properties that keep us balanced uh, here on the earth, light and solid, light and solid, neither of which we will have in hell. Uh, hell is a place of utter darkness. It's a place of complete and utter, utter darkness because God takes his light and his presence away. Here's the thing. You, you might have heard it said, well, I'm just going to go to hell because that's where all my rowdy friends are. You'll never see them because it's complete darkness, complete isolation. You're in torment. You're in pain. You're hurting. But you can't see anything. The second thing is the Bible tells us that hell is a bottomless pit, meaning there's no foundation, there's no solid, there's nothing to ground you. I, can I just tell you, I hate roller coasters. And I'm going to man up and I'm going to tell you, they scare me. And I don't like the feeling of my stomach being in my throat. I don't like the suspension. When my wife made me go on a roller coaster one time at Fiesta, Texas, I think it was called like Superman or something. And you went up and over this hill and you dropped down. You thought you were going to go into the ground, but it dropped over the edge of the hill. It was terrible. Every second from, from the time they locked that thing in and my feet started dangling, it was horrible. I will never, ever, ever do it again. And they showed the picture. And on the picture, you know how they get the picture coming through. Everybody on the thing is going, yeah! And I forget to breathe. However long the ride lasts, I don't breathe. It's like, mm, ah, mm. <laughs> The whole time, I hate it. I hate that feeling of suspension and the falling. And the, I'm just like, can we please? I hate it. When I think about hell being a bottomless pit and you're suspended forever in it, and I wonder, will be, there be that same sense of falling that I despise so dreadfully while I feel that, but there's never an end to it. It's an eternity of that. Roller coasters are fun for many of us, but we know they're going to scoop and come back out. It's a bottomless pit. You, you may reach to try to find someone. They won't be there. It'd be complete darkness. There are two emotional properties that help us on earth. Rest and hope. Rest helps us. Uh, we're designed to need it and crave it. Have you ever been around someone that went two or three days without getting much sleep? You don't want to be around them. Uh, we begin to lose control of our, of our functions. We also begin to lose control of our emotions. We tend to get angry. Um, many people tend to cry a lot. That's why it's used as a, as a means of torture, of extracting information. It's just sleep deprivation. We need rest. But Revelation 14 and 11 says there will be no rest for eternity. No rest. There's no break. There's no days off. There's no well, if I can just hang on for another week, because that leads us to the second thing. The second thing that helps us on this earth is hope. Hope. No matter how bad life is, 
um, most of us have at least some sense of hope that, we're, that tomorrow might be better or next week might be better or next year might be better. Uh, well, I might win Publishers Clearinghouse and therefore my problems would be solved. There's hope. But the human brain struggles to wrap itself around the concept of eternity. When, when we use terms like never and forever and always, we don't really mean eternally never, eternally forever, and eternally always. That's not what we mean because everything in our life is based off time frames because we, uh, while we are on this earth, are bound by time, but God is separate for time. So when you try to think about eternity, you, we think about it, but it tends to end and we have to start it up again. And so imagine this, when you're in hell, you suddenly, if you've been there for 10,000 years, you are not one day closer to the end of the sentence. And when you go another 10,000 years, you're not one day closer because the Bible says it is for eternity, meaning it has no end. It just goes. But as humans, it's really hard to wrap our brain around that because we are bound by time and, and we have hope on this earth, but there is no hope in hell. But understand that hell was not made for you. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, Then he will say to those to his, on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God did not create hell for you. That's why it's so horrible, because it wasn't made for you. He loves you, and he doesn't want you to go there. He created it for the devil. He created it for those angels who rebelled against him. Jesus called it Gehenna. <clears throat> And uh, what it literally translates, Gehenna literally translates to the Valley of Hemen. On the south side of Jerusalem, there was a valley where there was, uh, there was always a fire, a really, really hot fire going. And in Jesus' day, this fire was used for a couple of things. Number one, it was used to burn the trash of the city. So all the trash would go out there and they would burn it. Number two, any bodies of people who were too poor to be able to afford a burial or bodies of criminals, they would take them and they would throw them in this fire and they would burn it. And so everybody was aware of the Valley of Hemen. But if you trace it back, they also knew the history of this valley. When the Israelites had returned from captivity and uh, as, you, as you study through the kings in the Old Testament, two of the kings began to follow and worship the God of Molech. This God demanded child sacrifice. So here's what Jesus is reminding them of. He said, I'm trying to give you a word that describes hell to you as best I can. Something you can get. King Ahab, King Manasseh, two Israelite kings that turned and followed Molech. They literally did what these other people did and they sacrificed their own kids. In the days of Abraham, they would take the babies and they had a stone God and they would lay them on the hands of the stone God. But in the days of Manasseh and of, of Ahab, they did something different. They would literally take kids and they would force them to walk into this fire alive. Not infants, but children. And they would make them walk in. And the fire was so hot that they would begin to weep and they would begin to wail and they would begin to gnash their teeth. 
And so when Jesus uses this word Gehenna, and he says there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, he's literally taking them back to this moment. He's putting them in a place, and he's saying the worst thing that I can think of on this earth is when they would force their kids to walk into this fire, and they were weeping, and they were wailing, and they were begging for mercy, but mercy would not come, and their teeth were chattering so hard that they were gnashing and biting and 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 biting themselves to and, and crushing their jaws and teeth and they could do they, and it was uncontrollable and he said that's just a piece of what hell is going to be like but it goes on for an eternity hell wasn't made for you it's a horrible place Jesus said, that's the closest thing on earth I can think of to describe it. Don't go there. But I feel today like a doctor. And there are people all across this world and they have a disease. But the disease is fixable. It's very simple. All you have to do is turn to Jesus. All you have to do is give your life to Him. That's all it takes. It's a relationship with Him. He says, will you confess with your mouth and will you believe in your heart? That's all it takes. But you've got to know something. Every person in this room, every person watching online, all, all around this country, you can go to hell. The solution is simple but you can go there. I want to pray for a couple things today. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, I want to give you that opportunity here in just a moment. Secondly, if you're living in a personal hell right now, and you're just fighting and you feel it's just, just life is just killing you, and it's hot, maybe your life is full of tears, weeping, you feel like there's no hope, you can't get any rest, I want to pray for you today. I don't believe you have to live that way. The Bible says, Jesus said that I have come that you might have life and that you would have it more abundantly. And thirdly, I want to ask you this question. Whose house is burning that you need to go help them? Who do you need to tell? Who do you need to speak to? Who who do you need to be the one to open up your mouth? Who is it? Would you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? If you're in this room today or you're watching online, you say, Pastor Ren, and I, I don't want to go to that place. I don't want to go there. I need Jesus. I want to pray for you. I'm going to, I'm going to lead us all into a very simple prayer. If you just slip up your hands so I know who I'm praying for. Yep, there are hands going up all over right now. If you're watching online, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. All right? You can put your hands down. I'm going, to lead, I'm going to ask everyone to repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for your son Jesus who died on the cross but rose again. Be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe in you. And I want to be with you for eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.